worried that you might be the cool kid You wear the latest fashions on top of all the trends Or have you ever worried you were too much in the mainstream Always so generic, more normal than your friends Well, we've devised a test to put to rest your fears There's no need to panic if you let us your ears Tonight you can't sleep easy after all that you've heard Cause if you like the show, then you're probably a nerd Sunday, and you know what that means? It's time for a new episode of the It's Canon Podcast, the podcast where we chat everything geek, the podcast where we chat everything nerd, the podcast where we chat everything pop culture, because as the title of the show says, it's all in canon. We're your hosts, I'm Boris, and as always, I am joined by Phil. I smell like last night. <laughs> and Tyler. I am punchy. And pleased as peach. That's awesome. All right, on this episode, we're gonna we're gonna be chatting some comics, specifically some comic creators, specifically Frank Miller. We're also gonna be chatting MCU and She-Hulk. We're also gonna be chatting streaming services and the right to remove content. And is this fair? Is this legal? What's going on? DRM chats, of course. And then we're gonna be chatting some She-Hulk as well. And we're going to be rounding out the show with a somewhat early, possibly depends on when this is actually released, review, preview to the Game of Thrones sequel series, House of Dragon, as we were able, I was able to watch episode one from our good friends at WB, who we just finished trashing last week. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> you got to love it when it works out like that. Right? Isn't it funny? It does, it does come out today, Tyler. Yeah, that's, yeah. Just, that's why I said it depends on when. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just I was giving that information to the audience of like you saw it early, but it is now out. Yes, Tyler, talking to the mic. I am trying. I am working on a new system here. Stuff's getting tweaked and played with. Is that better? That is a little better. A little, a better. little better. I love this. Yeah, live. Live mic adjustments. I, yep. I've got a new low-profile boom arm coming in this afternoon. Oh yeah, that's, so I'll that's be doing beautiful that noise for our listeners. How about that? How about I have the mic play, face the right way? No, that, that, that usually works. Helps. Hey. Yeah. All right. So while uh, Tyler keeps fiddling with his mic. <laughs> I'm trying uh, to talk over it. Oh, my gosh. I know. It, 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 so am I. But that's why. You know, at this point, whatever, man. This is the show that people want. This is the show people are going to get. This is exactly the type of stuff we're trying to avoid, which is what I love. Every time we do stuff like this, people are all for it. So exactly. what am I supposed to do? You just give the people what they want. Yeah. This all right, week so on the It's Canon podcast, you get one hour of mic adjustments. <laughs> Can you move over <laughs> ASMR? Yeah, exactly. All right, so Phil, while Tyler fiddles with his mic and we watch on camera for free, how's uh, how oh, are this, things, Phil? It's getting erotic, folks. <laughs> Uh, things are good, uh, other than Tyler's giving a hand job to his mic or something. But um, 
Yeah, uh, things things are good. I've been consuming um, a fair amount of video game time. Still, my my time in Forza Horizon Five is becoming concerning. Uh, I'm well over 380 hours at this point, and the game's been out six months. So that gives you a, a window into my late night escapades. But yeah, it's it's been a lot of uh, She Hulk. A lot of Sandman bonus episode this week. Um, uh, bonus two episodes, actually. And, yeah, it's been a good time as far as the television land. And I'm trying to work my way through the last season of uh, For All Mankind. That's oh, the yeah. one show that I wanted to talk specifically to you about because that's from our friends who did Battlestar Galactica. Yep. Yep, exactly. Which is... I was halfway through season two before I realized that. And I'm like, all right, now I know why I like this so much. Like mm -hmm. beyond the obvious storylines, but the character development and everything is just so well done. So, I mean, if that's what your, if your hand jobs look like, we need to talk because there's a more pleasurable way to do it. <laughs> that much twisting. Well, you, I mean, I'm not going to yuck someone else's yum. Yeah. Well, I like, a, twisting I like a twist in there. What can I say? Like, All right. All right. Speaking about streaming services, before we really get into news, uh, you know, I, I want to touch something specifically on, uh, you know, what you brought up, and that's Sandman and how Netflix just randomly released two episodes out of the blue, essentially, right? Yeah. It's insane to think how we consume content, right? Like, can you imagine 20 years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, a network just randomly releasing episodes of something without any fanfare, without any marketing, without any anything, and people knowing how to watch it or whatever. I know it's, I know the for the obvious reasons why you can never do it, but it's crazy how Netflix can release two episodes and everyone's just like, okay, I'll watch it now, and that's that, right? Like it's it's it, it's it's insane that these streaming services and insane in a good way that these streaming services can just go ahead and, and do this. And, you know, everyone's just watching the episodes. Everyone knows it's out again. I know the difference between, you know, regular terrestrial cable and all that fun stuff and streaming, right? Like, uh, there, yep. there, there's advertisements, there's schedules, there's, you know, ways to, for people PVRs. to even know. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, but it's just crazy to think, right? Like, and it's that this is the age that we're in where a streaming service can just say, oh, surprise, here's some more episodes. And here's the actual mind-blowing part for me. Uh, beyond your your very valid point about the fact that I just accept it and go, I want to go put my eyeballs on that. But here we go with two episodes shortened, merged into a longer-run episode, one of them being animated. So a complete departure from live action of the rest of the series. So I, a I, like, but it has the characters, it has the core characters at heart, right? And you get a nice Neil Gaiman voiceover, uh, and it does fall in line with the universe. And then the last episode, which also touches on something that we talk about on the show a lot, actually took source material and changed it because they felt that it was went too far because the whole idea of that of Calope or whatever the girl the 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 woman in it she was getting uh, raped in the yep. comic book quite obviously and now they've 
culturally redacted that a little bit and they just hinted at an abuse thing to get that point across which I thought was a nice touch instead of being in your face and kind of playing into that culture I mean I personally thought it was pretty obvious we were going to get animated at some point like if you look at the original Sandman and how much the style has changed and the best way to adapt that shifting of style and that shifting of artistic takes doing different styles on, on your show is just what makes sense. And it, it, if you compare it with something like Stephen Strange with to a lesser extent Guardians of the Galaxy part two with, I don't know, everything everywhere all at once, that shifting of takes that shifting of style, that shifting of, of medium partway through is becoming increasingly popular and I think is a really good way of portraying that. Oh, I, I think it fit in perfectly for me. But I know that there's a lot of just people who maybe this is their first time venturing into this world due to the, you know, the broad audience of Netflix and whatnot. And it might be a little bit jarring because if you take a like some people just sit there and go, I can't like cartoons for kids. I know it's less and less now, but yeah. my dad, if he sees me watching an animated show, he'll be like cartoons for kids. It also reminded me a little bit of love, death and robots, which got renewed for a fourth season on Netflix in the sense that I love this idea of different mediums under the same name, driving at something even abstract because the whole story with the thousand cats was a little bit out there, but that's okay. Like that, that was a good comic and it's, it ended up being a great episode for that because how else are you going to get cats to do anything for the camera? Right. You're going to have to CGI them. Then you get into all the stuff. It's way more elegant to just animate it and tell the story that way. Well, I mean, or you could just watch cats and see the horror of trying oh. to do it that way. Oh, come on, man. Digital, digital buttholes. Come on. I, I, for one, will never unsee Rebel Wilson tearing off her own skin to reveal another level of skin and clothing underneath. I don't think I ever want to watch that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be something. That would be something for sure. But yeah, um, it just... Yeah, going back to the original point, it's just like, yeah, here we are, right? Like, it's such a different age on how we consume content, where it's literally just so ad hoc, not only from how we watch it, but how the streaming services release it. Now, you know, I know we're still in the what-have-you-done stage of the show, but I do have a question, like, that I want to pose since we're on this subject right now, and that's, you know, is this smart? way for for streaming services to try to keep subscribers because you never know when a new episode of your favorite show is going to drop i think it's netflix playing ball with with prime video and apple tv plus and, and all the, yeah all well, yeah it's them trying to retain an audience which is what it's all about and you're exactly right because if you look at all these other services they're doing like you know disney plus and everything weekly releases and this is becoming extremely effective i know towards data metrics i i believe while we were on our little hiatus the the facts came out that disney has outgrown subscribers the the subscriber count of netflix now due to netflix's shrinkage mm -hmm. and disney plus's 
growth patterns and whatnot. So all of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So all of this stuff, um, all of this motivation by Netflix to me is an effort to maintain that and do it in an unpredictable way because they're not giving, they're not tipping their hand at anything. In the past, the only thing that I could see where it was comparable out of something that I really liked was Dark Crystal Age Resistance. Um, they actually released a, a two-hour behind-the-scenes documentary about it shortly after the run came out. So that was something that you just got thrown into at, on the last episode during the credits. It was like, oh, if you like that, you're going to love this. Yeah. So that that was a first attempt at something like that that I saw. And yeah, it was it's, it's an interesting strategy. We'll see what happens. They could just go to weekly. You know, it, you know it's going to happen eventually. Yeah. Thoughts, Tyler? I I mean, I, I wouldn't even be surprised this is just a Gaiman thing. Uh, Neil Gaiman was like, oh, I really want to do this derpy thing because he's, yeah. he's a weird dude. He's getting a bit of a reputation of being a bit dictatorial on television sets. There was a lot of rumors coming out of American Gods, especially towards the end about what he was like on set. And I mean, you know, he's got a vision. He likes to try to get that vision to happen. Yeah, exactly. Netflix Netflix needs more big hits. And I think that part of the reason, back to Phil's thing, of why I always forget sex death robots. Oh, love death and robots. Love death robots keeps getting renewed is because it doesn't have the same problems other Netflix shows do with the contracts, right? No everyone's only doing a single episode, so they're not getting the Netflix contract creep. Yeah, exactly. It's, I can see that for sure. Now it's interesting too though. I have friends giving me feedback that they don't even like watching Netflix in the sense that they feel like they're they're forced to binge everything in an unhealthy amount of time. It's like when you go back and you realize, oh, I want to watch Ted Lasso. And then all of a sudden, you stayed up until two in the morning watching all of Ted Lasso season two type thing. And people are like, I'd rather go on the, the weekly ride. And that's Netflix's thing, right? Is to just dump a season on you. And then you're just like, okay, time to gorge. And people are self like they're self identifying that this might not be something that I should do. I don't think it's healthy for me. It's yeah. an interesting take. Yeah. I get that, saying. that week of anticipation, like we're gonna talk about at the end of this episode about She Hulk and the problems that we forecast with the one episode that we saw. And will they come to fruition or are they gonna find creative ways around it? Yada yada yada. There's tension that builds in there. There's discussion with people there's ideas floating on the internet. Whereas when you get something like Sandman, it's either did you like it or didn't you like it? Because it's done. And avoid social media until you get it done if you don't want it spoiled. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and tough, I think, it's a tough ask. Well, that's the strategy, right? Like, and that's, I'm sure that's a, an ongoing discussion in many, many meetings and boardrooms, right? When you, when, when, these streaming services are thinking about the release schedules, right? Like Disney's approach of pretty much one episode a week. Apple Plus is one episode per week. And then you have Netflix, really, who does uh, the whole slew of episodes. Um, unless it's a show that is like Snowpiercer or something like that, that has, in it, like Netflix is just a distributor for the show in a particular country. Mm -hmm. For example, 
you know, it, in the States, it's a cable show on TNT, whereas here in Canada, it's distributed via Netflix. So it's weekly release, right? Like there's other shows. Riverdale was like that. The Flash was like that, right? Like there's a lot of shows that had that schedule and it's not Netflix's decision, really. It's just that they were a distributor for someone else. I wonder how those metrics match up, like, you know, what they see yeah. on their side about, you know, retention, uh, returning audience, uh, proximity to release date. There's a lot of metrics in there that Man. I would like to, to have a look at. You and the creator sometimes, right? Like, I, I, I don't remember what show, recent streaming show, I believe it's a show that was on, on Apple, and the creators of the show were essentially saying... We have no idea how many people are watching the show. We have no idea if anyone's watching the show. We don't even know how many minutes of the show have, have been consumed. We don't know the demographics or anything. We don't know any metrics about our show, uh, which can make it very difficult for making decisions on the show, right? Um, you know, I think, it, I think Kevin an, Smith is it an edict from, oh. from the, 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 the streaming partner telling you what to change in your show, right? Without any real uh, firm, concrete evidence. Fitly, you were saying something. I think Kevin Smith r ran into an issue with the Masters of the Universe thing. And Netflix was giving him feedback and he was pushing back and they showed him metrics. And he said, like, his response to actually seeing that stuff as a creator was, it was insane what they tracked. Yeah. He came oh, yeah. out with statements where he's just like, like, they'll tell you when, how many people paused to look at, you know, an inappropriate frame of, of a cartoon character's bum or something. Sure. Like, like he's just like, it, they know everything that you do with that show. Oh, yeah. And he goes, it freaked him out. Like, he was just like, it was way too much. But, I mean, yeah, it, it is there. I think there's two parts to that, right? Uh, number one is, that's not a Netflix exclusive thing, right? Like, on every platform, people are like, we don't have any idea how people are watching. But also, it's worth looking back to Dan Harmon with Community, of the the whole story of community is about how the Nielsen numbers are crap and how community was reporting, according to Nielsen, bananas low numbers. And then it went online and suddenly it was getting millions of views and those numbers don't comport. Like it doesn't make that that is something's wrong with the data. And I think we've had for a really long time there's there's no reason that publishers for lack of a better term are going to give that data to creators unless they have to yeah is that fair interesting probably not in i mean the grand scheme of stuff. define fair like no but none of this is fair yeah like create yeah, whole... regularly like it's not fair for a, a ceo who just plays golf and sits on twitter to make 10 million dollars a year Uh, and that's the thing, right? If they're if they're funding your production and they're gatekeeping the data about it, but asking you to make that change, like, oh, if you want more more watchers, you're gonna have to do this, that, or the other thing with them, or or change this format. Yeah, like it's their money. It's it, it, whose product is it? Is it the artist's or is it that purchaser? It's a weird, weird place. <laughs> but yeah. anyhow. And as well, I think with community in particular, that was at a very interesting time because I I think that that was very much a crossover 
type of series in the sense that things were going online. I remember sure. when Yahoo bought it and people were like, what the heck is Yahoo doing? We, and it, It's showing up on Netflix. It, it, it started going in a lot of different places. And there were so many viral clips that came out of that. Troy and Abed in the morning, all the stuff, right? Like it was a show that could be chopped up and yep. done like that. So it became little things that you caught on the internet. And then you were like, what is that? I want to go watch it. Yep. Right. Like it, it's a really, it was positioned really well in, in, I don't think in any measurable ways. I, I mean, I disagree. I mean, we, we've known Nielsen's crap for a long time, right? Mm. Like Nielsen. Yeah. Nielsen preferences middle class, middle America, white people to a bananas degree, similar to the, to the electoral college, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, if you're a family of four in Wyoming, you're worth more than a family of eight in California, whether it's on Nielsen or Electoral College. Like, that's just part of the way weird American culture works. Yep, that's true. Yeah, it's just kind of fucked up in that sense. So what else is going on, Phil? Oh, that's that's about it for me. You know, I, I, I did pick up a couple August 1st Lego sets that are starting to actually hit the stores. Because Lego basically sold out of everything on August 1st. It, it's like the entire site just went boom. But, oh, just PSA for everybody. Lego prices are going up due to inflation, apparently. Even though they seem to be impervious to inflation. Because they posted record profits. Despite all this inflation concern. So, yeah. What? Just get ready for $10 more per everything. So... Oh, there you go. That's a that's unfortunate. Ten percent more. So you're going to be going up. Sets are going to be going up in Canada an additional five to whatever dollars, right? So everything that you see in the states, you're going to have to tack on way more. So yeah, that's a conversation for us to have another day. Tyler, how's your week been? What's going on? I am just trying to keep trying to keep caught up on writing, which is a weird phenomenon of like I have deadlines to meet to keep getting paid and the weather's getting hot so it's been good i had a i mean this is me getting as i described it i'm becoming just an old coot or a witch or as my nicer friends have said i'm becoming a public intellectual of i had a huge harvest from the garden last night like pounds of food from my little single lot and i got a lot more coming and all that's great I'm doing a lot of writing, and I am trying not to melt in this heat. My basement is already 28 degrees. We'll see how long I survive during this podcast. <laughs> That's crazy. That is insane to say that. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. It's been, this, this summer's been so crazy. I mean, we have a weird... I have a weird thing of... Uh, in part of why we moved here is I am a, I am 100% have probably clinical paranoia like that's probably part of my life i'm pretty convinced we're gonna have like really bad food riots within a decade and i'm like yeah all the food is produced here and under worst case global warming we can just grow oranges and figs and avocados <laughs> like <laughs> i have a fig tree i planted figs aren't supposed to grow here fig it's supposed to be too cold and it's happy it's love and life and i'm like that's global warming that's a problem 
Yeah, right. That's oh, we'll see. Oh, this, that's that's just a concern of mine every single day, right? And seeing and you're just seeing the writing on the wall for so many things that could potentially happen. Uh, you know, funny enough that we've seen in books and stuff and dystopian worlds, and these dystopian worlds are honestly just becoming reality. I mean, I wrote an RPG that is with I, it, was, it was commissioned by a publisher. I handed it in after having a small mental breakdown at the start of COVID over it because it was about how climate change and the coming pandemic was going to destroy the world. And I was just like, oh, it's happening. Oh, no. But it's about that same thing of like what happens to humanity afterwards. So, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, it's. It's just crazy how close we are to that. Yeah. Yeah. Apples. Well, as we talked about before the show aired in the preamble, Tyler and I were discussing the the absolute horror show that it is in in Europe right now. Rivers drying up and everything like that. If you think it's bad in North America and it ain't great, holy cow, you look at Europe and you're just like, my goodness. I hope everybody's okay over there. Right? It is crazy. Like... I watch maybe a little too much of the news and, and, and just, you know, various channels of it. It's good background noise, to be honest, right? When you're, when you're working. Mm-hmm. Um, if, it's, if I'm not listening to music, I'm listening to news. And just seeing how fucked up things are everywhere else in the world. It is so scary. But whatever. We're not here to digest and, and we're start worrying about that. We're not dooming today. Yeah, we're not dooming and glooming today. We are gluing, and I don't know. I can't think of anything else at that oh, point. But wait, yeah, when you say we're gluing, are we are we sniffing glue? Yes. All right. Woo! This Sniff week glue. was a busy week, but a good week nonetheless. Uh, just yeah, just been watching a lot, trying to catch up on a lot of stuff. Haven't played a video game in so freaking long. It's been insane how long since I've played a video game. But um, yeah. Just catching up on a lot of television. Been wanting to start watching some stuff. Uh, you know, on Netflix, there's an awesome sports documentary. That It's more sports is the background of it. And that's the story of, you know, Manti Teo. Uh, you know, he used, to, he used to play. He was huge in college. Had some controversies. Gist of it was... He got catfished for years, um, and, 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 you know, the same day that his grandmother died, his quote-unquote girlfriend died, and it became a huge thing, and then it all unraveled that, well, this was fake, that someone was catfishing him the entire time. Uh, so, you know, your, your initial thought on all of this is, how can someone be so stupid? But this documentary does a great job of really explaining that, how all of this happened, and it was, like, a lot of... I guess mistakes, errors from from even some of his close friends and family did, because it was one of those things where, you know, through social media he saw some connections. He asked people, "Hey, do you know this person?" And then for one reason or another, whether people, you know, just want to be cool, want to like know everyone or whatever, they're like, "Yeah, I know this person." Blah 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 blah. Anyways, go ahead and watch that. It's a, it's a very intriguing story. Like I remember this story when it all was happening, uh, just because I do follow sports ball a lot, but yeah, it's just so freaking crazy. Tyler, what is wrong? What is going on? What's exploding? You know, see, there's a fly that flew between my glasses and my eye. <laughs> there's a single fly in my office down here. I thought you were going to let it go. 
<laughs> I can't because oh like gosh. all of a sudden you were just like, no, like, there's a single call nine one one for you. Breaking Bad or that one episode of House or whatever. There's the one fly and it's gonna slowly drive me insane. Well, if you're Doug Ford and it was a bee, it would just go in your mouth. <laughs> uh, That's all I got. Hey, uh, speaking uh, of Netflix shows though, um, I did watch uh, Trainwreck Woodstock '99. As a little three-part documentary, All if you right. want to see what His corporate grades. greed looks like, <laughs> does to people. That's a great. What's funny is hired Hell's Angels for security, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is 22 years ago, and this is just happening regular all the time now. <laughs> yeah. 22 well, I... years ago, these people were freaking out and having like, like Lord of the Flies experiences, and now that's just called a festival. That's called Fire Fest <laughs> at this point, right? Like. Yeah. Like you know. $12 bottles of water, just totally screwing everybody, Ooh. trapping them into environments that they can't self-sustain. Like Literally jumping in shit during yeah. Rage Against the Machine performances. Yeah, yeah. Getting trench mouth. Sounds like Ugh. fun. <laughs> but it's, you know, here in Ontario, right? Like, we've seen a lot of cases of these festivals just going just, just, just left, like just upside down, right? Like there was that Kingston Fest uh, on over the long weekend, right? And oftentimes promoters here and promoters who promote shows and put shows on here in Ontario, they take advantage of the government funding, right? Like, yeah, yep. <laughs> so they take advantage of everything. They take yeah, advantage of saying, the clients. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah. Um. Yeah. No. That's a really great series. Just it's just three episodes. It's an easy watch. And you know, if you didn't live, because there are listeners that we have who weren't alive when that actually happened, which is crazy to think. Um. You know, watch that. It's so good. Such a good thing. I like. I remember when that was actually happening and thinking, what a shit show, right? Between the Insane Clown Posse and Rage Against the Machine and everything like that was happening, especially those last couple Limp Biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was it? The There's only one concert that I left that I had to leave because it was just too loud, and that was Fat Boy Slim. And he was in, he, he did a, a rave show during that that they had to shut down. Oh, it's go. insane. The, uh, like that lineup was just insane. Yep. Yep. I remember and, Woodstock and, 94. 94 was so much different, right? Like, mm-hmm. there was, but for many reasons, there was just so much different. 99, just everything that could go wrong did go wrong. But at the same time, it's not like the original Woodstock was a fucking love fest, right? Like, let's be honest. Well, nostalgia, come on. Yeah. All, all I could say is I just love that idea. Let's. Let's distribute a hundred thousand candles. What could go wrong? <laughs> right. Oh, like even so SARS stock here back in two thousand three with the Rolling Stones, right after SARS, right? Like oh. that I remember. I was like two human rows from the from the stage. And it was like the hottest day of the summer. You we got there at like eight AM. So by the time the stones came on at like eleven, you were just Physically, emotionally, spiritually done by that point. Yeah. I did the one at the Sky Dome, the SARS Fest at Sky Dome with the hip. Yeah. <laughs> that was much more civilized. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I got free tickets and I was literally just checking at York University like around that time. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to go with my cousins who lived like right beside Downsy, right? So it kind of worked out. <laughs> 
But yeah, fuck, man, just crazy day. All right, so let us uh, jump into a few things. Like I mentioned, I want to talk about a few specific things. Comic book and comic book creators from the past coming back, haunting us. Specifically, oh. Frank Miller hasn't really done anything in about, what, 30, 35 years? Well, I mean, here I am ready to, like, shit on his legacy. And I'm like, no, in his defense, he did have one of the best-selling comics in 2010. He did have um, with that, that, that third sequel to Dark Knight Rises yeah. that, again, it sold well. He hasn't he has done, any, done stuff. I guess he's I also making NFTs. He That's really done, important to the culture. Your oh. mic is blowing up, number one. Number two, he hasn't really done anything in 30 years for Marvel, I should say. Yes. Yeah. 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 But so. He was fairly iconic as a pedestrian comic fan myself as a kid, right? Like, you saw Frank Miller's name on something, and you knew that there was going to be probably a pretty intense storyline. Well, I mean, intense covers all sorts of sins, right? Like if we look at what he did in the aftermath of nine 11, like that's kind of the, I don't want to call it a badge, but that's kind of the, the, what is the reference? The albatross around his neck ever since then. Right. Holy uh, terror yeah. is, is. <sighs> Holy terror is, I think, the screaming pain of someone with PTSD, but you shouldn't have tried to get that published. <laughs> right. Well, that one, you see, at that point, I had lost touch with the comic industry. So my frame of reference is all all the, the Batman stuff and, and, you know, like all the stuff that that was extremely popular and you just went to it and you, you saw these different versions of characters or these really interesting storylines that you never really contemplated before as as a person who's just picking up books off the shelf right and you're getting these graphic novels and i just found that there was a lure to the name uh is the same as todd mcfarland to be honest with spawn and whatnot like those types of things it just like when you saw frank miller presents you know or frank miller's x whatever it is you you wanted to get your mitts on it you wanted to read it you when you went into the store that's what the guys behind the desk were talking about right like that's that's such a big culture a big part of that culture and you know the modern day equivalent of it aside from going to your comic book store which is a great idea don't just sit there and, and consume the comics in in a vacuum go talk to somebody and get references about different books that you might because they read them um, it's just like going to the video game store, though. It's kind of like that tribal thing where you can walk in, and that's one of the great experiences of just going in and going, hey, what you playing? You know, and they, they tell you about this weird-ass game called Bayonetta and how it changed their life. And then you go, I'll give that a try. Why not? It's in the used bin. He said it's 20 bucks. And then you're like, yeah, that was a damn good game that I would have completely missed if it wasn't for that little interaction. And that's the same thing with comic books, right? You go in, they go. <laughs> but they were also trying to sell the graphic novel, which was probably a little bit more money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's so much. So, I, I mean, getting to Frank Miller, like, I, I don't understand. Here's the thing is, I both understand what Marvel's doing this because he's just doing some covers. 
and I am disappointed, right? Like Marvel's doing the thing and I am mad that they're doing it so well, right? Of they're going to get a bunch of people like us talking about it like we are right now because Frank Miller has a pretty problematic past. He's been pretty homophobic. He's been pretty yep. Islamophobic and maybe he's gotten better than that. And he's like, but like, there's a long history of people like alleging abuse, alleging him being a bigot and him being like really chill with Nazis and stuff. Ugh. And you know what? Yeah, maybe he's not down with that. Maybe that's not what he is, but this is endemic of how much of the comic book industry likes to pretend like, Oh, we are very much about various social issues. And they, they do, they do the two step of we're going to be pro LGBTQ rights when it, serves us when it gets us more sales and then we're doing frank miller back to do a cover because we're gonna get a bunch of free publicity of people talking about him doing a cover mm-hmm. you're right right like i mean you know i i think the dude is real hurt i think he's not doing well but he's also selling nfts and he's doing everything he can to make money now and cash on the fact that speaking frankly i think he's more than a little bit of a has-been yeah. Oh, his time is definitely passed. Just, you know, but as you point out, Marvel's just leveraging this to get people to get the clicks, yeah. so to speak. Right? And, you know, so. in, a, in a way, the way that I see this and, you know, it's similar to how Rob Liefeld still is, 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 is being a creator. Right. And these big companies are giving him a chance. I feel like it's the. The, the the people who say if you go woke you go broke crowd and it's a it's an appeasement to them. I I don't even think it's I don't think they care. I mean honestly, I think it's calling a spade a spade. The people who say go woke go broke are their own separate market, and a yeah, lot of them are, are going to hate my stuff anyways. Yeah, or they're going to buy whatever bullshit. I I don't think that. I don't think they like Frank Miller that much either. Calling well, his spade is spade, right? Here's the thing at like, the same time. As soon as I said that, I'm like, these are people who complain online and are just unhappy people in life. And they wouldn't even buy this shit and consume shit if, regardless, right? Like, they just complain. Yeah, I mean, it's like every time, I don't know. It's like when S.H.I.E.L.D. came out and it's getting it's getting review bombed. By people who obviously yeah. haven't watched it. And yeah. like, I'm not saying you need to like it, but if your entire identity and your entire, like, how I'm going to interact with Marvel is I'm going to say a thing isn't, I'm going to hate, I'm going to do a bad review and that's it. Like, you're not a real fan. It's the same thing we saw with Star Wars of whether you liked the new Star Wars or not, there undeniably was a bunch of people who were just mad that it had black people in it. Yeah. Yeah, that's... And that's that's exactly it. That's the equivalent to me is when shows get just all the hate and it's clearly, you know, they, they're already review bombing it before anybody's laid eyeballs on it. We, they're we, just exactly, you know, we talked about they're this. looking We've at a, a trailer and they're just saying X, Y, Z because these things push their buttons. It's the same thing. Cyberpunk on the video game side, right? Not yeah. the same social yep. issues, but just the same phenomena. Well, heck, Google Stadia, every day of its existence, is people going, is it still around? There was a rumor that went around uh, two weeks ago that said Google Stadia is shutting down, like Google's shutting it down. 
And then that account's gone now because they predicted a date and that date came and went and nothing happened. And in fact, they're adding more features again. But everybody disses it. Everybody hates it. And they haven't even tried it. Yeah. Yep. I also do want to say that this cover is it's crap. It's a bad cover. Yeah. Yeah. Like Frank Miller's done better work than this. It's simple. And it looks it almost looks like a caricature, right? Of the thing. Oh yeah. It it looks like someone it looks like and, and I, I I bet he put effort into this, which makes me feel bad. Because I, I think that I think that Frank Miller needs therapy. Like calling a spade a spade, I think nine eleven really fucked him up. And understandably, and I think that working in comics fucked him up, again, understandably. The dude also has a bunch of demons and problems, but this looks like someone, it looks like you went to someone in Artist's Alley and you bought a commission and you were like, hey, do like a, do a, do a Frank Miller, but do a Frank Miller to the thing. Yeah. And that's what we got. Yeah. That's it'll, exactly it'll what it's It'll be an NFT out. soon. It'll be also, an NFT soon. he's fucking made the thing packing some heat. <laughs> As one should. His thing is a thing on the thing. Also, it looks like his thing has a porn stash, which, again, Frank Miller has a weird obsession with porn stashes. Yeah, agreed. Agreed 100%. Don't all right. All. So that is. <laughs> you got me. All right. That's a great joke, Phil. That was fantastic. Oh, uh, what a day. What a Sunday. Here we are chatting all things on the It's Canada podcast. Now, I want to touch on a couple stuff before we move forward to She-Hulk specifically. And that is, let us talk about... <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of what order to go in because we're going to be <laughs> trashing... <laughs> you know exactly why. My dilemma right now, right? We're going to be trashing the <laughs> shit out of Warner Bros. Discovery. And then we're going to be talking about something they were nice to us about. So let's get the bad out first. Phil, you... Oh, sent this to us because you know you're kind of in these circles more and this brings up a larger topic and that larger topic is streaming services and the content that they've curated and how now you know that rather than them releasing physical copies of this content everything is in their streaming services so you think so you think you're getting everything because this past week what happened phil well uh, being in the Twitter universe that I like to exist in, it came across my desk that basically 200 episodes of Sesame Street, older episodes of Sesame Street, have disappeared off of HBO Max. So the issue here is, you know, it's a complicated thing with Sesame Street because it was always meant to be free to public. That's why PBS was the was the carrier of it for so long until they couldn't afford to do it. And HBO came in, and I guess there's some kind of agreement between HBO and Children's Television Network or whatever entity it is now, where they would distribute this thing. But it's also some of the episodes are available on YouTube, things like that. But these older episodes were always something that HBO just kind of said, yeah, we'll, we'll take care to give it the air and the space that it needs. Now, there was reports that DVDs had been pulled off the shelf, which further hyped up some anxiety within the communities but it turns out that no retailers had just sold through on these things as tyler and i were talking about off air it's kind of like trying to go out and get a sandman graphic novel right now the things are are 
plopping off everywhere. Like the, they didn't, they haven't really reprinted it since 2017. People are buying it up due to the show and wanting to revisit it. So I would imagine that once this news came out about Sesame Street stuff, Sesame Street stuff started selling because people are trying to get their hands on it. Because the real issue here is that stuff's disappearing and it can disappear. And that's what's got a lot of the movie people and creators and whatnot upset and rightfully so because if some streaming service it doesn't have to be warner warner brothers or anything it can be anybody once like one of my concerns is what happens if netflix gets sold and whoever buys it decides that they really don't like dark crystal age of resistance i don't have a dvd copy of that it never got made yep right so that could theoretically just poof gone just gone because I can't watch it now. You know, and that's what the concern is in the marketplace and with the fine people who make all this stuff. Yeah. Is they don't control their work. It's just, it's the same as as a, a music artist who, you know, their catalog is owned by the distributor. It's not owned by the artist. Yeah, and you're going to see this also in the music industry at some point, right? As yeah. physical becomes less of a thing, and Apple Music and Spotify's of the world really take over more so, right? Then one one stat that I wanted to bring into into all of this as well is that you know streaming services combined have surpassed cable viewing for the first time in history recently, right? And you know th- now with that streaming services becoming more and more of a thing, they literally own so much more of the content, right? And you know, more focus is going to obviously put be put on streaming. For example, a local national network here, CTV, um, you know, they say streaming now as opposed to when it's airing, right? Like they, yeah, the language that they're using is all about streaming and clicks and 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 the web and and that as opposed to when something's airing on regular cable. And to me, that language just goes to show you that like. You know, how much things have changed. Well, it, I'll give you a great example of this. Living with an older gentleman. He is getting really pissed off right now that he used to get coupons for McDonald's. And he'd organize his coupons and then go to McDonald's and, you know, get his coffee and a, and a little muffin or whatever. Now, everything's an app yep. from McDonald's. Now, he doesn't have a smartphone. And he will say to me, well, this just pisses me off because I don't get a break at McDonald's anymore for X, Y, Z. And I'm just like, he goes, why is the app so important? And I said, because they're mining everything. They want to know how much a transaction was. They want to know how many multiples of this did you buy. They want to know your location data. They want to know all of this stuff, just like Tim Hortons does and all this. And that's where I'm just really mad about society in general regardless of Canada, the States, or anywhere else in the world, about how slow the government legislates this kind of stuff. Because these companies are just profiteering off of what we would consider slimy behavior, but there's no longer a break for anybody. It's all about what can I give you to get a perceived break in all this. And that's the digitization of the world. That's where it just loops back into... You know, they have all the power, like we pointed out, with all the data metrics and everything like that. They could sit there and go, nobody's watched these 200 episodes of Sesame Street in two months. Just pull them. 
we need the space because you know game of thrones <laughs> the other side is to look at what we've already seen from especially companies like Nintendo and Disney, who've been really good and really effective at limiting how much they license out and how often it is. Disney used to have the vault. And that was part of the appeal of Disney Plus was when was the last time you could buy the Lion King? Mm-hmm. When was the last time you could have bought like a DVD before Disney Plus of a bunch of these properties? And that's the thing they did on purpose. Which then ties to weird other phenomenon of like the the original cut, the, the original theatrical cut of Star Wars might not exist anymore. That was the thing I was reading the other week is like some of these versions will never exist anymore because no one backs them up. And what like to put on our our ivory tower style hat, what does that mean when it can be a phenomenon of not only did Han not shoot first, there's no evidence Han ever shot first. Yeah. Han didn't even have a gun. Right. I mean, that's a separate thing. <laughs> I know. The other side is, you know, Nintendo's been great. And I don't say great as in, like, I'm happy. I'm saying great as in super effective at no one else can have our back catalog. And we are going to charge you as many times as we can. For the exact same product you already have. Yep. And they do that well. <laughs> yeah, like, like I, I, when I say they're great, I mean, like, they're really good at that. Because you could have bought the same thing for Super Nintendo, and then your Wii, and then your Wii U, and now again for your Switch. That's four times. Well, just look at Grand Theft Auto V. This, this, that game just blows me away in the sense that it came out for the Xbox 360 and yep. PS3. Then there was PS4 versions, full prop, right? And and Xbox One versions. And now it's in the new generation. <laughs> oh, the game is like literally there's kids out there who've probably only played GTA 5 as a loyal follow along, right? And hell, look at what Sony's doing with Last of Us. My goodness. It's, uh, they really like it. They really like it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's, what a world we live in, right? Like, what, uh, it's so weird. Like, thinking about this, as you guys were kind of chatting, Tyler, like, when we started the show, streaming was just such a different beast. Yeah. You're not wrong. I, I, I think that Boris is frozen, maybe. I don't know. He's blinking, so I guess not frozen. I guess that was the entire thought. Um, I mean, this ties a bit to the Frank Miller one, a little, uh, though, of I think that there's this... Market forces are conspiring. And I don't say that to be like, oh, there's a group of people in a room conspiring. It's just pe- people have incentives, and big companies are making similar decisions such that it is increasingly hard for new creatives to get out there. Right. We we went through a long period of time where it was every five years, it was easier to get your work out there. Yeah. Right. Like the 1980s, like 1985 to 1995 was it was ludicrously easier to get your work out there. And we got bone and we got some awesome RPGs and we got some awesome video games and then there was some rough stuff. And then to that, by 2005, you had the start of the new indie game phenomenon. That's like when you start to get the stuff like, shit, Minecraft is almost that old, isn't yeah. it? 
Yep. Mm-hmm. But rightly, that's an indie game. And we are reaching a point where so many of the avenues to get your work out there have financialized gatekeepers in the way, right? Like if you want to get on Steam, you not only have to pay your cut to Steam, you have to find some way of being heard amongst the noise yeah. of all the asset flips and whatever. I think if you want to make a comic, you both have to get onto Diamond and have to make enough noise that someone's hearing you. And something it's impossible, but a lot of these avenues have more gatekeepers and more hurdles than they used to. Yeah, you're right. Now, here's the thing, though. It is easier to get your stuff out if you're an independent, 100% independent, right? Everyone has can make a podcast. Everyone can make a game. Everyone can do whatever. Now, that's one thing, and that's just the smallest piece of the puzzle. The second piece is getting that noticed. How do you get that noticed? Through Steam through whatever podcast streaming service, whatever list, right? That's where the gatekeepers come in, right? So it's easier to put your work out there per se, right? But it's harder mm-hmm. to get noticed in that sense. Yeah, well, and, and I would argue that you're you're often serving multiple gatekeepers as a result, yes. right? Yeah. Steam's going to take their cut, and that's just to be in the store. Yeah. You also have to fulfill the gatekeepers of various media enterprises. They get enough eyes, or you have to get enough good enough Kickstarter, or you have to have enough money to like pay for it, or you have to get enough podcasters. It's yeah, there's a an interesting ecosystem that is trending towards preferencing those in positions of creative clout more than those who don't, right? Yeah. I think about how many, I mean, an easier, an easier point to access would be think about how many TV shows are adaptations nowadays. You're right. Because it's it's less risky. Think about how many board games are just licensed. What did did I read yesterday that Paramount Plus is reviving or doing a show based off of uh, a Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Sure. Fuck it. I'm just like, my God, like this is getting out of hand. Like there's nothing original anymore. It's retread after retread after well, retread. Popular IP is popular IP, right? It's always safer yeah. to do an existing IP than literally copying the IP and calling it something else because you know that the popular oh, IP, yeah. the established In IP a way, is just... I buy into a huge, like we both watched How I Met Your Father, right? And it, it feeds into that though. Like it, it's... <sighs> Formulaic too, but I also think part of it is how easy it is to get media coverage that way, right? Yeah. Like I remember working on media coverage for Reanimator, which is not a big IP, like as a joke of an IP, and it was still exponentially easier than being like, "Here's a cool new thing I have," and no one cares. Well, and that's because when we look at our little digital phones again, we Mm -hmm. tell Google what we're interested in. Right. It it knows what we hovered on. It knows what we watched. It knows what tweet we replied to, whatever. And again, not to be conspiratorial in that sense, that's just the world we live in. But I yep. just find that it's going to pick up on the fact that I watched all the seasons of How I Met Your Mother. And then it's going to start serving me up How I Met Your Father because it knows to tagline that into and to telegraph yep. it into my eyeballs. Oh, yeah. Well, and, sure. and news coverage 
Yeah, well, it comes in as something in my list of news pieces, exactly, of pop culture stuff. And I'm like, oh, so that's how it, it, it's a bit of a game changer, you're right, with an existing IP, because you've got an established base that you get access to if you're officially speaking for it, right? Which is part of your point about how it's really difficult to get something off the ground that's completely unique and its own thing versus something that just lifts off of the back end of that. Yep, yep. exactly. All right, so moving on, House of the Dragon, episode number one. When they sent this, there was a lot of instructions on what you can and can't talk about. So I'm going to keep this brief and simple because by the time that you're listening to this episode, you're probably already consumed or about to consume episode one. But I just wanted to give a quick uh, review on what episode one and what you can expect. So this show takes place 172 years before uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, and the first episode essentially, you know how in Game of Thrones... And, and I've, I've said this, and I've heard multiple people say this. It took a few episodes for you to really get into it, right? Like, it was a kind of a slow burn oh, yeah. in that sense. Until, and the, but when you got into it, you got into it. Now, this show, you jump right into things. Um, the first episode is essentially a, a getting you caught up, getting setting the lay of the land. Uh, you know, you're kind of seeing how King Viserys comes into power. And, you know, Matt Smith... Fuck, he's such a good actor. He does an incredible job in this show. And, you know, this show is in good hands with, well, as long as he's going to be alive, I guess. And I just say that <laughs> as a joke to the whole Game of Thrones thing, right? I don't know. I can't, like, I don't know. Now, show gets right into it. You know, gets put into power. And then shit starts happening. And the struggle for the, for the Iron Throne starts right away. And they do a great job of setting up the characters and the families, the families and the lineages and stuff like that. What I like about this is that there is some fan service, but it's you know how a lot of prequels, it's all about fan service. This it does a good job of balance of, of the balancing act, right? Like you do hear the family names of certain characters, and you're like, oh, that's cool, but it doesn't kind of like rest its back and its soul on 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 those names, right? So I kind of like how they did that. Uh, dragons, all the dragons, um, you know, and, and it just gets right into things. And that's what I really, really enjoyed about this show is the fact, or this episode is the fact that we just jump right into stuff. You know, uh, you know, we're seeing motives being developed. We're seeing schemes. We're seeing everything happening. Um, you know, King Viserys' health is, is already in question right off the gate. And, you know, you see the struggles happening. You see the fight for the throne happening. So this is kind of like a, in a sense, while a prequel, also a continuation of the themes of Game of Thrones. And I think they did a fantastic job of capturing the essence of Game of Thrones. And I would say this isn't so much of a, of a sequel, but a love letter to Game of Thrones, especially episode number one did a fantastic job so so far so good great starts if i was gonna have to rate this i would have to rate this four out of five stars you know the the one episode i wish it was a little longer i wish we got two episodes just because you know they leave you wanting more and with some great questions but that's just what hbo and game of thrones has done traditionally so you know three years later i would say good job well done and let's see what uh, this show ends up bringing us. So 
It is available on HBO and HBO Max in the U.S. and Canada on August 21st, Sky Atlantic, and now in the U.K. on the August 22nd. Let us know what you think. It's I think in Canada, it's on Crave. It's on Crave, yep. Yep. There you go. That's my That's spiel. Good. That's my spiel. Um, do we want? Do we want to touch on She Hulk at all today? Oh, of course. She Hulk. Yeah. Oh, look at that! What a transition. <laughs> yep, that is I'm our kidding. last topic of the day, and that is uh, She Hulk. We're going to be chanting some She Hulk. You know, part of this interesting phase four of of of, of the MCU, now dubbed the Multiverse Saga. She Hulk released its first episode. On Wednesday, as we talked about, like it's been a very polarizing show with morons, idiots. I was gonna say, I mean, that gives that gives people hate bombing it for no reason yeah. with shitty. Yeah. It's like I went and looked at the House of Dragons reviews, and the vast majority that are less than a five are go woke, go broke bullshit. Yeah, there are some people who are like. I have some legitimate criticisms with this show, but most of them are still giving it a five or a six. Yeah. Cause they're like, look, it's still, and at some point you just get a five or six cause you've poured money into it. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I haven't seen it, so I'm not trying to comment on it, but like how much of negative reviews are just performative masturbatory bullshit has gotten yeah. insane. Well, you know, one of the ones that I found most difficult to deal with because of the toxicity of the fan bases in, in this particular uh, uh, culture of Star Wars was oh, dealing with some of the real issues that Obi-Wan had, but you couldn't point out the real issues of Obi-Wan because too many idiots were out there pointing out yep. the garbage is issues. So if you got categorized as being in that camp, you were screwed. It, like, it no, I agree with you entirely. You can't, you can't sit there and go, I don't like the, the, the writing style or the character development of that particular inquisitor, but yep. it became about her being black, right? And that's not like, oh my goodness. It's so terrible as far as that goes. And that's what we're doing here with Marvel and with House of Dragons. Or such and such not being powerful enough or whatever bullshit, right? Of like, why isn't Darth Vader able to just kill everyone? And it's like, because, like, then, shut the fuck then up. We don't have a story. You know? Yeah, because shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck yeah. up. I, I, you know, it, it feels a lot like the days of Gamergate to me. Um, yes. Because I remember, like, Anita Sarkeesian first being out there, and and I remember watching it and being like, I have some, I have some polite disagreements. I'm really happy that we're having a feminist take on these topics. Like, I, I, I think that applying different uh, uh, views and different lenses to any topic is just that's just good. And they can say stuff you don't agree with, but the number of people who are just like, it's performative, it's bullshit, it's she's a bigot. Like it's just it was insane of like, well, I don't I don't wanna go public with any of my critiques because I don't want to seem like I'm on their side. Yep. And I like it, it it's it's the the vitriol and the capacity that they have to be organized to a degree that is outsized to their to their real numbers. It makes it really hard to have these discussions. It reminds me a lot of this is a bit of a walk. Uh, I'm reading a book right now about Scientology. And the book argues that there might not be that many Scientologists. Like, there might be 40,000 is what this book argues. 
Mm-hmm. But if you think about that number versus the impact on culture and policy, that's bananas. Yeah. And if you look at the the numbers of people who actually believe the stuff that is being espoused in all the one star She-Hulk reviews, they're not the majority. They're a pretty small minority. But they get the majority of the coverage. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is they're really good at making sure they go out there and say something. But and we- then they're able to get a bunch of news coverage. Yeah, and we've talked about this when it comes to right-left politics, right? It's kind yeah. of the same phenomena. Now, going back to She-Hulk, uh, initial thoughts, Phil. Okay, I'm going to position this because I do have some critical thoughts. And as Tyler has pointed out, and we've just, you know, laboriously done, we don't want to align to those things. But I'm going to try and keep it not about a woman, not about any of that. I just think the show structure is challenging. Now, I've brought this up to people who read the She-Hulk runs, and they said, well, that's the way she is. So I'm curious about how they're going to develop this show how it's going to float because every most other marvel shows are about the struggle of being a superhero and they put all of that to bed within like 20 minutes of this show right where they're just like she can change she i know that there's potentials for this and that's where i see things going but it's not as pointed to that as i thought it would have been because apparently she's just a really great kick-ass fighter and lawyer with martial arts training. And that's She-Hulk. And it's fourth wall breaking and all this. I I was entertained with it. I'm just curious how they're going to tackle it in all of the rest of the season going forward. Yeah. That's all. No, yeah. I, I mean, I think that it's... it's I, I expected us to have similar critiques, not different critiques. I also have a couple of critiques on it. I, I think that one of the things that strikes me the most for that kind of level of critique of it is Deadpool does a struggle with being a superhero. He's always being ugly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like he's, he's also just, he's supernaturally good at being a fighter and no one cares. Um, yep. I, I, my, like my biggest critique of it is <laughs> weirdly enough, a lot of the acting's just a little flat. Yeah. Fair. The writings the writings the writing to me varies between decent and eh. Um there's a few moments where they go for the raw raw moment that I think they 100% deserve and I support and this don't land it as well as I think they could have. Yeah. Um I, the amount of criticisms out there for well, <laughs> The number of criticism I've seen from people who are, frankly, idiots being like, she's not actually had to control her anger better than Bruce. It's just it's exhausting for like the the point isn't the point is that when they were young, they didn't learn the skills to control their emotions. And I think all of us being raised as dudes can agree that, like, we don't get told to control our emotions that much when we're growing up. Yeah, Yeah, we don't. We don't. Right. Like, I remember being told it is a good point. Just yeah. break some stuff. That's fine. Yeah. Whereas, I, I, I remember being told, not my parents, because my parents were better adjusted than that, but being told by like other people's parents, I'm like, yeah, just you're gonna you're gonna smash some furniture sometimes. And it's like, yeah, no wonder Bruce like sucks at controlling his anger if that's the world he's raised in. But 
yeah, I, I just it was the scene to scene rather than the overall arc that got me. I think that they are going to start playing with she Hulk's take on to use the verbs of the show, the other guy, because you've already kind of seen she does act different when she's she Hulk. Yep. And mm-hmm. that's often in the comics is she is more confident. She is often more promiscuous. She's more willing to take risky behavior and it's, you know, cause she can, if you don't have to worry about like no one's going to stab you in a back alley. Yeah. I also would take more risky behavior. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. Now that you explain it like that, this is, I think, I, I think that sorry, that's going to make the show fun. Sorry. It's just going to make the show fun for me. I think these are all really good points that you're bringing up. Yeah. And with that said, I agree hundred percent with you, Tyler. And I think this is the only time, not the only time, but one of the few times where I wish we got a second episode to kind of bite into, mm-hmm. where the way that the structure of the first episode, it was good, yeah. but I feel like if this is the tone of the entire show, you know, I'm a li- I'm going to be a little, I don't know, I'm not sure what to expect. Now, I do know that this is very serialized. I do know that this is very, uh, you know, episode by episode with one ongoing theme, but it's very episode by episode, freak of the week type thing. Um, because it is more structured, more like a like a law show, right? Like a like an LA law legal law drama, order, legal drama, right? So that's fine, but this is the one time where like I really did want to watch that second episode for once and see where they're mm-hmm. going with this. But that's also a good thing because it makes me want to watch that episode coming up this Next week. Next week, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, on yeah. that, do you think it would have been better of and this has been something I've been toying with, with um, writing and stuff lately, is is I think that Marvel is leaning towards filling in all the backstory up front instead of starting in media res and filling it in as we go. Do you mm. think it would have been better to start with a show of, of just, she's She-Hulk and you don't know why yet, and just we're just going to do an episode? I think that would have been fine. I think we're at the point now with comic book adaptations where you don't necessarily need origin stories for everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. There's value in that for sure. I, I, I think that that's you know part of the issue with the Star Wars community too where everybody wants to have a reason for something. And then the show becomes about satisfying that reason. And then you get into the Obi-Wan Kenobi thing of all oh, you're messing with the other movies now you got to be careful now you have to find an elegant solution and you're watching for that reason and i'm like just go and start a new guy <laughs> blobby one blanobi i don't care but you know tell me a story that's not about goddamn luke but <laughs> anyhow, mandalorian did so well i know it, it, you get success but it's true why can't it just be a superhero like i guess she hulk identifies a little too close to the hulk so they had to have that that shot of the blood dripping into her veins and all that. But yeah, I, I mean, they could have done it two ways. They could have done that entire. This entire episode could have been three minutes. Mm-hmm. That's true. The, that's yeah. the uh, thing. Just, I'm good at it. Whatever. Anyways, let's do the yeah. episode. Or it could have been what is, I think, a really good call of tie the origin story to the first season, uh, uh, second or third act. Yeah. Uh, Force them to revisit it. Like, that's what we got with Luke Cage. And that worked well. I'm just, ah, he's just supernatural. He's just invulnerable, whatever. And we didn't find out why in the experiment until a lot later. Yep. How did everybody feel about the Steve Rogers stuff? (laughs) 
Whatever. I, I don't care enough. I thought that was like, cute. That was I thought cute. he was. I think it adds to the overall world more than anything else, right? Like, and yeah. we also don't know whether what what. Here's the thing. What I like about it is, it adds to the world, but at the same time, not everything. These these take these these throwaway comments, and I'm saying it's a throwaway comment just because yeah. it is what it is. Um. We don't know whether it's true. We don't know whether it's his buddy just talking shit to his cousin. We don't know, you know, we don't know the truth, right? Like, and that's what I enjoy about some of the things that the MCU has been exploring with the TV shows, where there are a lot of these throwaway comments that add to the characters, but not necessarily matter, per se. I find it funny because in the sense that I had never thought about it. They proposed it. They gave an answer to it. I don't think any, there's no way to validate it, nor would I want to. But I think it was this moment that they tried, they kind of wanted to make She-Hulk as uh, uh, edgy like Deadpool. Because it would definitely be something that Deadpool would bring up if he wasn't so focused on Wolverine and yada, yada, yada. And I think that it's just doing something along those lines which is kind of funny i just never really thought about it before so i felt I sh- it was a little bit jarring when it became a thing <laughs> it was a big meme in the more queer marvel fandom fan base okay. and feige and the russos had actually previously said that um natalie dormer's i think it's natalie dormer's character who's like a cameo in first avenger and canonically, Steve slept with her was a thing yeah. they said a while ago. And this just kind of sort of canonized a thing they had already said, which I think is fine. Mm-hmm. Like, that's cute and fine. And I, I did love her being like, no, I'm not actually drunk. Like, of course, I'm just I am able to do this with you. And it's really nice seeing a character who cares about Bruce and doesn't really care that he's the Hulk. Right. Because we yeah. saw his Tony kept harassing him. And we saw Thor being like, yeah, no, Bruce is great. Please get the Hulk back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I do. I do love that he's wearing the music T-shirts that he's yes. wearing in, in, in Thor Ragnarok, right? Because Tony put one on him. And I love that that relationship grew a lot and whatnot. Like, there's lots of places this could go. Time moved differently in the Thor Ragnarok, and I love the inclusion of that ship, you know, the one that was similar to the Orgy ship. Yeah. <laughs> Which kills me every time. I've got the Lego model. Had to buy that one. <laughs> but, you know, there, there's some fun stuff that, that could sprout out of this, even in the, you know, possible other ventures. We'll see what happens. Phil, yay or nay? Yay. It's different. Uh, I... I might feel differently at the end, but yep. I'm a I'm a thumbs up right now. We'll take it episode by episode. Tyler, episode one, She-Hulk, yay or nay? Gay out the wazoo. Yep. Yay for me as well. Uh, good start. You know, there are issues with it. I had some issues with the, some cuts. I had issue with, as Tyler said, this all could have been three minutes, but so far, it's a TV show. It's different, and I'm enjoying it for now. So that's where we're going to keep it. Guys, another week up, another week down. Let's keep moving forward. Phil, you know what you have to do now. I do indeed. When you see my head shift to the second screen, it's because I'm going to tell you guys where you can find our website. It's at www.itscanonpodcast.com. 
itscanonpodcast.com. You can track us down on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at It's Canon Podcast. You can email us at show at itscanonpodcast.com. You can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really anywhere where you find podcasts. You're going to find the It's Canon Podcast. And if you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe and uh, leave a rate and review and tell a friend about us. We really appreciate the great word of mouth that you pass around about the It's Canon Podcast. Yep. All right. Next week, episode 100 in our canon. It's a lot more than that. Tyler and I, have we've done God knows how many episodes at this point. But next week, in this canon, this installment, this numberage that we're using, I'm using that word. It is episode 100. Tons of stuff to come from that episode and after that episode. And we're going to have some fun with it. It's the It's Canon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about everything geek, nerd, pop culture. Because as the title says, everything is in canon. He's Tyler. He's Phil. I'm Boris. Thank you for listening. And until next time, goodbye.